Holy Toledo. <laughs> Good to see you. Hey, let me just uh, piggyback on what Joe uh, mentioned. Uh, these are baby bottles that you can turn in next week if you've received them. August 20th, uh, folks from Crisis Pregnancy Center. It's the one here on Beamer and Scarsdale, closest to the church, that will be the recipients of it. And uh, some of you have already uh, turned yours in a little early, and we turned it in to the Crisis Pregnancy Center folks. And the lady was in our last class, and she told me uh, thus far it totals $700. And that's before our official collection date. That's just people sporadically handing them in. So it's a big, big help uh, to them, and they'll give us a grand total. I, I, we didn't require it, but it'll be encouraging, I know, for our classes to hear about it. So if you have your... Hey, thank you, Mike. Mike has a uh, container there. If you brought yours in today, you could put it in there. And if not, next week will be fine. One other... Oh, there's Dora. I didn't see Dora. That's Dora Clutter, and she's at the Crisis Pregnancy Center. And Dora, we're excited about people's participation in this and thank you for what you do over there so we have some more for you today and next week will be a big day and then i want to hold this up to you it's a book that's in hebrew it was written by the person who was our guest speaker a few weeks ago from israel it's foundations of the faith he left me a few in hebrew in case you happen to be walking in the mall uh, a lot of the kiosks are run by Israelis for whatever reason, and I would be pleased to give you this, no charge, no, nothing. You can carry it with you and maybe put it in the hand of one of those Israeli young men or women over there. And uh, We have read the English version, and so it's consistent with good theology, no, no problem. You could just hand it to them. So anyway, if you're interested, uh, give it to me, and I'll even show you how to open it which is a little weird, huh? Because Hebrew reads from uh, right to left, so you have to open it the opposite way we would. So I don't want you to embarrass yourself when you hand it out. So we'll, we'll practice. So anyway, have those if you are interested. Okay, we are in First Samuel chapter 4 today. I'll give you a chance to get there. First Samuel chapter 4. And we'll take a look at good stuff. <clears throat> hopefully tonight if you're available in addition to all the other activities uh, that joe mentioned at 7 30 we'll be baptizing here at the cross if you've not attended one of those outdoor baptisms you might want to it's a great great blessing and we have a number of people already signed up ready to be baptized so that'll be a 7 30 so if you'd like to come to the event joe mentioned at five looking for a place of leadership. There'll be a special um, session Zach Nicholson will do it with those of you who are not in a serving role yet but wish to be. So you can, after our general event, which is to listen to this comedian, you can go off with Zach and then maybe come out to baptism if you're interested in, in doing that. Okay, First Samuel chapter 4. Here's how it starts. Thus, the word of Samuel came... To all Israel. Now Israel went out to meet the Philistines in battle and camped beside Eben Etzer or Ebenezer, and the Philistines camped in Aphek. Philistines, 
are a people group who came from probably the Greek islands in the Aegean Sea. They were a seafaring people, not native to the land. They made their way to the, then it was called, land of Canaan, present-day Israel. They did this for reasons we're not entirely certain of. One, normal, conquest. The other, economics. Who knows? They came two times. Once was early in history, a small group in the time of Abraham. The second migration was much more substantial, and it's the one we're uh, going to be reading about here. The Philistines were the first people in the land of Canaan to make use of iron and products made from iron. It made them quite a foe because they can fashion armor and swords and shields and even chariots. They were Israel's perennial foes. In fact, the Philistines are mentioned 150 times in First and Second Samuel alone. So if you're getting bored, you can start counting now to see if I got it right. I may be off by one. So um, uh, they're always in the way, and as a result, Israel is going out now. There's conflict between the two people groups. I will tell you this and try to do my best to stay on track, even as I tell you. Um, you've heard of the Palestinians and Palestine, you, you've heard. Um, the name derives from the Philistines. You may not have known that. Uh, how did it happen? Well, my people made a habit of revolting against ancient Rome and losing. And on one occasion, uh, a Jewish revolt, the Romans got pretty upset with my people and they pushed us out of Jerusalem and Israel, burned down the temple and sent us on a run. Many of us found our way even to Houston, Texas, uh, I tell you, <laughs> when all this happened. And the Romans <clears throat> uh, decided essentially to come up with an in-your-face strategy to shame the Jews, and that is to rename the land of Canaan um, Palestinia, which comes from the Philistines, because they knew Israel's history was spotted with conflict with the Philistines, so the Romans renamed the land. Palestinia, Philistia, Palestinia, and hence you get the name today that we associate with the people group in conflict with Israel known as the Palestinians. So I make this offensive and dogmatic statement, but I think I could support it. There is no such thing as a group called the Palestinians. There is no such thing. They're Arab peoples worthy of respect and fair treatment and hearing the gospel. So I'm not trying to stir up any hatred or contempt for that people group or any other. I just want to state a fact. <laughs> There's no such thing as a separate group called the Palestinians. They're Arab peoples from various countries in the Middle East, including Israel, many from Jordan. In fact, the one-time leader of the Palestinians, Yasser Arafat, who is now deceased, the head of the PLO was called, Palestine Liberation Organization, was from Egypt. Folks, you have never heard anyone speak the Palestinian language. 
There is no such thing. There is nothing that defines this people group as a national entity. So the notion of a two-state solution, so-called solution in the Middle East, is sheer and utter nonsense. Okay, I'm done. I just wanted to tell you. Now, some of that you could argue with, but you can't argue with the factual nature. Some of my comments are editorialized, I know. But I'm telling you, the Palestinians got the name from the Philistines. That's the deal. So Israel is in conflict with the uh, Philistines. Now, the Philistines, they didn't do things. They were not like a nation of Philistines. They had city-states, city-states. And there were five major Philistine cities in the land of Canaan at this time. And they were all located along the shores of the Mediterranean Sea. And um, I'll bet you know the names of some, maybe all of the five of those Philistine city-states. Would you like to throw out a couple names? And hey, Barry, you are correct. Ashkelon is one, by the way. It's present-day Ashkelon still bears that name to this very day. Ashkelon. Know any others? What did you say, Bear? Gath. Gath. And now there was a big guy who came from Gath. What's his name? Goliath. Goliath. So Goliath came from Gath. So that's two of them. Ashkelon and Gath. Any others? Uh, there was one called uh, Ekron. Remember Ekron? Um, um, Gaza. Now that's Daniel right there. Oh, you didn't say that, Daniel? Oh, Oh, Daniel, I was giving you credit. Uh, Cecil, did you, get, you got that right? Way to go. <laughs> I expect my Dan. Well, uh, Daniel and I and a few others, Lord willing, are going to this place September 6th. And we will serve a, on a kibbutz right across from Gaza. Gaza is in exactly the same place as the Gaza of old. In 2007... The Israeli government bodily removed its own citizens from this area under the Land for Peace plan. They pulled their people out, kicking and screaming. And who did the Palestinian people vote in as their government? Hamas, which is on everyone's terror list, unless you're part of the European governments and they drag their feet on even... It, calling it what it is. But, and what's happened ever since is that it's been a terrible mess for Israel because Hamas uses its uh, monies, a good deal of which comes from the good old United States. It's intended to build up their infrastructure, schools, hospitals, and all the rest. A good deal of the money, all the studies are indicating, are used to build up their missile arsenal. In fact, they build tunnels, cost about a million dollars apiece, from Gaza, underground, to come up right at the place where we're going, Daniel. I know this because I saw it, and the Israelis are constantly developing technology to identify and blow up these tunnels, but they're, they're, they're concrete, and they're not, these are not amateur tunnels, I mean... Uh, many people can stand up in them and go through, and they come up right underneath this kibbutz, so that they can kidnap Israeli soldiers or kids or bomb the place. So 
that's where your tax dollar is going. I just want you to feel good about yourself. Anyway, that's Gaza. These are the Philistine, these are the Philistine cities. Now, to give you just uh, some sense of the geography, Aphek is where the Philistines were encamped. Ebenezer, Ebenezer is where the Israelites were preparing for battle. Shiloh is the major context of First Samuel. That's where Samuel was brought by his mom, remember, Hannah, to serve the Lord under the umbrella of Eli the high priest. So Shiloh, if you can think of this, is just north of the Dead Sea. Two major inland bodies of water in Israel in the north, Sea of Galilee, to the south, Dead Sea. Just north of the Dead Sea is Shiloh. If you go 22 miles to the west of Shiloh, towards the Mediterranean Sea, you will run into Aphek and Ebenezer. Those two places are about two miles apart, just to give you a frame of reference. So now here's what happens, verse 2. And the Philistines drew up in battle array to meet Israel. When the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the battlefield. Wow, this was a surprise to such an extent that we read this in verse 3. When the people came into the camp, the elders of Israel, leaders of Israel, said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Good question. They should have stayed with it longer than they did. They skipped past the question too quickly and came up with a plan. Let us take to ourselves from Shiloh, 22 miles away, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, that it may come among us and deliver us from the power of our enemies. They misdiagnosed their situation. They went into battle and suffered defeat, though they be the people of God. And they did, they thought, because of the absence of the Ark of the Covenant, But that's not true. It was because of the presence of unconfessed sin. Two of their priests, Hophni and Phinehas, or in Hebrew, Pinchas, sons of Eli, committed terrible sin. I shared a little bit last week. I wasn't being more graphic than the scripture, which tells us as women came to Shiloh, a religious center, to worship God, their own priests took sexual advantage of them. This was serious. While this was going on, their father, Eli, who was the high priest, knew about it. He did not participate in it. He simply looked the other way. Is it just as bad? I don't know, but it was bad. You can't allow this to go on. Now, they were adult sons. You can't control what your adult kids do. I know that. But you can keep them from doing it as priests. And that's what he did not do. You can't go off into battle Thinking victory is automatic, especially if you're at odds with the God who entered into covenant with you. So they think the problem is we don't have the ark of God. No, they didn't have a right relationship with the God of the ark. But what they engaged in is what I'll call good luck charm religion. We got to get our good luck charm. It's a box It's a holy box, I know this, but a box nonetheless. It's about three three quarters feet long, two and a quarter 
feet in height, depth, wood, gold, covered with gold, housing, amongst other things, the commandments that God gave to Moses. It's very holy. It's very important. But do you know even a very good thing can become an idol? They took this very good thing and made the wrong attachment to it, and therefore they idolized it instead of Almighty God. It could happen here uh, in this day and age where we can make the wrong attachment to certain rituals and practices of a religious kind. You have to be careful. Some people make the wrong attachment with their denominational affiliation. Some people seem to be more attached to their their denomination than they are to to, to Almighty God. Some people make the wrong attachment to baptism. Some people are flat out on the run from the God they know who is there, but they don't want to confess their sin and change their ways, so they just get baptized. It's magical thinking. It's no different than my ancient forebears. There's magic in this box. We don't have to identify and confess sin. Let's just get the magic box. And so it could happen even today. Good luck charm religion. You know what they did? They confused the symbol with the reality. People are prone to do that. The symbol with the reality. One time I was in the military and uh, I was in tanks for a while. Armor. And we were blowing up stuff. That's, that's what you do in the army. You blow up stuff. And, uh, but when you blow up stuff, there's a lot of downtime. That's the way the army is. You know, hurry up and wait. So I was a chaplain. And I thought, well, man, I can make use of this downtime. Well, guys are online, you know, ready to fire. I just got a bunch of New Testaments supplied by the Gideons. Great organization. You know, they're special military. Doc, you know, special military coloration and stuff like that. And I, would, I had a bunch of them, and I would just take them around. Wherever I saw a bunch of guys gathered around a tank, I would say, guys, let's do a little Bible study while we're waiting. But they're not going to say no to a chaplain. I outranked them. That's the way the military works. And so I thought we'd do a little Bible study. And one guy said, chaplain, do you have any extra those little books? I said, oh, yeah, absolutely. So I gave him three of them. Come back the next day. He asked me for three more, you know. This is happening every day. So I go over to him. I say, hey, I'm kind of encouraged that you're interested in having more of these little New Testaments. I'm just curious. What are you doing with them? You hand them out? Are you reading them? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm just stuffing my pockets with them. Stuffing my pockets. You know, it's added protection in case he got shot. I remember telling him, man, it's the contents of that book. I mean, it was kind of like sort of a glaring illustration of how you can make the wrong attachment to a very, very good, a very, very good thing. Some people, Christians, make an undue attachment to um, crosses that, that you may wear around your neck. There's nothing wrong with it. Please don't misunderstand. Unless you make an attachment to it. There's no magic in it. It can't hear your prayers. It's the God who suffered and died on that cross who you want to talk to because he rose off of it. But anyway, so you can see what we're reading about here. Don't just put it on my people. It's you people too. Okay. So, so, so that's kind of what's, what's going You know what they did? They seem to forget the omnipresence of God. He's not confined to a box. We don't have to go get the box of God. He's omnipresent. And they also forgot the omnipotence of God. We don't need the powerful box. We have a powerful God, you see. Some people go to Israel and they say, I can't wait to go to Israel so I can get meet with God there. What? 
I found him in Pearland. <laughs> well, that's not the reason to go for it. You, don't, do you have a localized God? He's omnipresent. Why are you worshiping a localized God? That's not the real God. So anyway, you see, ancient Israel is kind of missing the point here quite, quite a bit. You know what I think? Uh, as I see a religious group becoming more and more focused on rituals and practices and rules, their personal relationship with the head of the church seems to be going down. It's very interesting. It's one or the other. I think that's why Paul says, you know what I'm concerned about? He says, I pray that your minds would not be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. It's simple, folks. You don't need magical amulets. You don't need magical boxes. You don't need anything. You need a relationship with the Lord. Okay, so this is going on. And their thinking is this, I think. If we get the Ark of the Covenant and bring it back here, God will be obligated to give us the victory. Why? Because his reputation hinges on it. His honor. We will we'll be able to use God. We'll get the box, the Ark of the Covenant. God will be obligated to come through for us in order to protect his honor. But they don't understand God. Do you know God is willing in attaching his name to us? He's willing to run the risk of being dishonored by us? If you call yourself a Christian, a Christ one, a Messiah one, you bear his name. So do I. What we do say out there in the marketplace reflects one way or the other on him. He's willing to let that happen. And if in our unconfessed sin we drag his name through the mud and dishonor him amongst the Philistines, so to speak, he's willing to allow it to happen until we suffer sufficient defeat that may move us to repentance. That's how God works. So they want to use God. But you know, God doesn't want to be used. He wants to be loved. You know how you love God? By obeying God. And this they were not doing. And so it goes on in verse 4. So the people sent to Shiloh. And from there they carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts who sits above the cherubim and the two sons of Eli, here are their names, Hophni and Phinehas, or in Hebrew, Pinchas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. Eli was there. Shouldn't Eli have put a stop to this? Shouldn't Eli have said, no way, over my dead body, you're not going to take the Ark from its place? But once again, his passivity is going to lead to the demise of his own sphere of influence and Cause Israel another defeat. Folks, you can't know of evil in the camp and look the other way. You may not be the evildoer, but you become complicit if you don't do something about it. That happens here even in this church. If things are going on that are wrong and we don't deal with it, we're in trouble. Has to be dealt with. Now, I want to ask you a question. The Ark of the Covenant, when there was tabernacle and temple, do you know where it was placed in the tabernacle or the temple? The holy of holies. And who had access to it there? The high priest. How often? Once a year. Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. It was so special, exclusive, and holy that the priest had, did you know this, on the hem of his garments, 
little bells. You know about this? So when he moved around ministering before God on behalf of the people, people outside could hear him, hear the bells. If they stopped hearing the bells, they would conclude God struck him down. But they can't go in to retrieve the body. They tied a rope around his ankles. That way they can pull him out. I'm not lying. I'm not lying. So this was a special thing. But now the elders of Israel think it's perfectly okay to charge there, in there, to the holy place. It's not Yom Kippur. Extract the Ark of the Covenant and carry it into battle, thinking it will automatically give them victory. Yes, Bear? Correct. Exactly right. No, no, they did not. So this is what's happening. And it happened, verse 5, as the ark of the uh, covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth resounded. The leaders really led the people astray. Everyone is rejoicing. They all think this is a good thing. It's always this way. The shepherds lead the sheep astray. That's why God has such strong indictment against religious leaders who lead people astray, as these were. And it happened, oh, I read that, verse 5. Verse 6, and when the Philistines heard the noise, see, the people are just hooping and hollering, yay, we got the magic box, we're okay. The Philistines hear this. They said, what, what, what is the noise of this great shout in the camp of the, does your Bible say, the Hebrews? Yeah, so the Philistines refer to the Israelites or the Jews as Hebrews. What does that mean? It means people from beyond the river. That's what it means. What river? Jordan River. Israel's in Egypt in slavery. They're let out of bondage, 40 years of walking around. They come around. They kind of a circuitous route for various reasons. They're crossing uh, the Jordan from the east, west, into the land of Canaan. They're people from beyond the river. That's what Hebrews mean. So the Philistines cause, call them that. Verse 7, and the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. You know what we have here? Identical thinking amongst the Philistines and the Israelites. The Israelites think we will win with the ark. The Philistines think we will lose with the ark. Both people groups are making the wrong attachment to a thing. Neither people group is thinking about the God of the thing, just the thing. It's a sad thing when God's people think as non-God people do. And that's what's happening here. So verse 8, Woe to us, Philistines say, who shall deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? Plural, right? Plural. These are the, here it's repeated again, plural again. These are the gods who smote the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. So, they remember an event, apparently, that at this point took place three, maybe four centuries, 400 years prior to this. Israel was being liberated from slavery in Egypt by a mighty outpouring of God's power through Moses. Remember the ten plagues and all that? These Philistines are referring 400 years later back to it for crying out loud. Uh, they knew what was going on. And they conclude, oh my goodness, 
We're in trouble because the God of Israel is big and powerful and superior. You know what's sad? They knew that but showed no indication of submitting to him. They knew it but had no... But, but, but totally ignored him. And what they knew about him was only partial because they concluded that the Israelites had not a God, but gods, plural. Why? The Philistines couldn't imagine that one God is that big and powerful. The Israelites must have like a team of gods. And every people group in that day was polytheistic. Poly, many. Many gods. Everyone. The only people group in the day that was monotheistic was Israel. In fact, the watchwords of the Jewish faith. Some of us know this. There's my uh, Jewish friend, Harry, and I see my new Jewish friend, Ricardo. God bless you, brother. Thank you for coming. Ricardo and I met just the other day. That man is from Brazil, but he's okay anyway. (laughs) And we found out he's Jewish and I'm Jewish, and, and he's... Come to hear what we stand for. Anyway, good to see you, brother. Um, so the watchwords of the Jewish faith, listen, Shema. It's, hey, hey, brother, it's called the Shema. We were talking about this last week, which means to hear, to hear. So it goes like this. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. It's been recited uh, throughout history by Jews down to this very day. In fact, we chant it. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. The word Echad is one. So for the Philistines to imagine Israel had more than one God, is to miss the point. No, 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 they're monotheistic. Now, I'm going to tell you this. The whole concept of monotheism is a biblical distinctive. You don't get it anywhere else. Israel was the only people group in biblical times that was monotheistic. How did they get that way? By being smart? No. They didn't get it from information. They got it from revelation. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob revealed himself to the Jewish people as being the one and only God. Monotheism is the distinct contribution to the Bible. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're saying, Stuart, you're wrong. What about Muslim people? They're monotheistic. Folks, when did Islam came to be? Sure. Sure. I'm, that's why I'm telling you, mono, monotheism is a distinctive biblical contribution. You don't get it anywhere except in the Bible. So, okay, that's kind of what's happening over here. Now, verse 9. Take courage. Philistines are pumping each other up. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have, become, as they have been slaves to you. Therefore, be men and fight. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated. Second time. And every man fled to his tent, and the slaughter was very great, for there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Second defeat. Look, the first time Israel lost, they had no Ark of the Covenant. The second time Israel lost, they had the Ark of the Covenant. Conclusion, 
It's not about the ark of God. It's about the God of the ark. Otherwise, it's good luck charm religion. You see? They missed the whole point. And the ark, verse 11, the ark of God was taken. Whoa, that is huge. I mean, it just states that in an economy of words, but the ramifications are great. Not only that, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Now, that's not a surprise. Why? Because in 1 Samuel chapter 2, God said so. He told Eli this. This is the begin of the judgment of God upon the house of Eli for the sins of the sons and the neglect of the dad. So this is not a big surprise. But what is a surprise, what was not announced, was that the Ark of the Covenant of God with Israel would fall into the hands of the Philistines. And I'm certain the Philistines made, uh, came to the same wrong conclusion Israel did about the Ark. Now the Philistines probably concluded, we got the magic box, which means we have control over Israel's God. That's what the thinking was. Israel thought he's contained to a box, so did the Philistines. We got this magical piece of furniture, therefore we have that God in the palm of our hands. That's, what, that's kind of what they're, they're, they're thinking. Now, I want to tell you as a sidelight that you may be interested in. In the late 70s, an archaeological discovery was made in a place which now has an Arabic name, and it is called Isbet Sarte. It's an Arabic phrase, which I'm sure I'm mispronouncing. But anyway, it is thought by archaeologists to be Ebenezer. It's, it's today where Ebenezer then was. It's an Arab village. In the late 70s, archaeologists found an inscription on a grain silo, five lines. And it's a Philistine account of this battle. And in the inscription, it actually talks about the capture of the Ark of the Hebrew God, the Ark of the Covenant of the Hebrew God, and it even mentions the name of the priest, Hophni. And it is thought to be an extra-biblical record of one of the earliest, if not the earliest, events in the Bible. So, now, I don't need that to bolster up my faith, and neither do you. I'm just telling you, archaeology... uh, doesn't support scripture. Scripture supports archaeology. There's kind of a big difference. Anyway, um, quite. A, let me mention this to you again as an off-the-track thing. If you would like to be on an email list, I have an email list of people. I send them stuff like this. If you're interested, I'll add you to the list. It costs nothing to get on it. It costs everything to get off it. No, I'm kidding. What I do, when I come upon stuff like this, I'll send you the article, that's all. No strings attached. It's about Israel. It's about archaeology. It's about politics. Uh, it's about Jewish roots of the faith. It's a variety of stuff. Sometimes testimonies, believing Jews, things like that. I send out one, two, three a week, depending on what's going on. And if you're interested, um, write down your email address on anything and give it to me, and I'll add you to the list. There you go. Uh, just recently, in fact, I sent out one yesterday to our group. Some of our group are in here. It was about another discovery just north of Galilee. It was a stone quarry and a workshop in which they found 
a 2,000-year-old location where they made stone water pots. It was, it's, near the, it's near a place called Cana of Galilee. Have you heard about it? Cana? Where, the wedding where the Lord uh, took water and made it into wine. Those six stone water pots very likely were made in this particular workshop, which they just discovered. Anyway, I sent that out a couple of days ago. That's kind of stuff. Then other stuff is more heated and controversial, which will get your blood boiling and stuff. Like, but it's good for circulation. So I, if you want it, let me know. Write down your address and give it to me. Okay. So verse 12. Now, a man from Benjamin, that means one of the tribes of ben, uh, is Benjamin. man from Benjamin ran, not walked, not strolled, ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh. So remember, I told you, it's about 22 miles. This guy's running 22 miles. One day, you'll see. Mostly uphill. He's serious. Says the same day. Came to Shiloh the same day. How? With his clothes torn and dust on his head. Signs of grief. Mourning. And when he came, verse 13, behold, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road. And Daniel, we will go to this place. Lord willing, Shiloh. We can actually see the road, the direction all the parameters of this particular episode from this, from this site. Anyway, he's seated on his seat by the road, Eli. He's eagerly watching because his heart was trembling. Look at this, for the ark of God. He knew better. Shouldn't have let it go, but he did. So the man came to tell it in the city. All the city cried out. When Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, well, what does the noise of this commotion mean? And then the man came hurriedly and told Eli, now, Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were set so that he could not see. The prior chapter told us his eyes were growing dim. Now the effects of aging are such that he's completely blind. And the man said to Eli, verse 16, I am the one who came from the battle line. Indeed, I escaped from the battle line today. And he said, Eli said, how did things go, my son? And then the one who brought the news answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines. And then there has also been a great slaughter among the people. And your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God has been taken. And it came about when he mentioned the ark of God that Eli fell off the seat backward beside the gate and his neck was broken and he died for he was old and heavy. Thus he judged Israel. 40 years. Grief over the loss of two sons in one day. But I don't think that was the big source of his grief. He had time to prepare for it as much as you could because God told him beforehand this would happen. Both sons will die on the same day. What took him by surprise was the loss of the Ark of the Covenant. It so shocked him. He fell backward. And because he was overweight, he fell on his neck and, and died. What a way to go. He served Israel as high priest for 40 years. What a way to end all that. Is that, do you want, to, do you want your span here on earth to end like Eli's did? Don't do it. What happened with Eli? He got to a point in his life where he decided to tolerate evil. He didn't participate in it. He just tolerated it. Don't do it. 
Look, I'm getting older. I'm going to be 68 in November. I'll remind you so you can get me a good gift. So you get older, you have a tendency to say, hey, you know, let me slow down. This other stuff is for younger guys. No, you don't slow down. You run the race with endurance. You never stop being fiercely, passionately outspoken about what's right and what's wrong. You don't look the other way when there's evil in your family, in, the, in your church, in your life. You deal with it with as much passion as when you were a younger believer. You hit it. You don't sit around and get old and obese. You don't do that. You don't say, it's over for me, I'll shut down. There's never a time to shut down. Never a time. Getting older just means the next phase in our lives. That's the way it is. We don't ever stop. Don't you want to stand before God one day and have him say, well done, good and faithful servant? Not, hey, what'd you stop for? Why'd you stop so soon? And here I'll really step on toes, but eh, at my age, you, you, you. What is it with us as we get older? We think it doesn't, the care of our bodies don't matter. Let's just get old and fat. Just sit around. If we fall, we'll break our neck. We're, folks, as we're to be good stewards of money, we're to be good stewards of our bodies. It's not that you have to be like some Hollywood. No one's you know, trying to look like what? That's not the point. Just reasonably healthy. Are you entrusting your health to your doctors? Are you crazy? <laughs> Do you know the state of American health care? Are you buying that? You've got to take care of yourself. You don't have to do something crazy. You don't have to eat carrots all the time. I mean, you, just be reasonable. Eat enough food to be satisfied, to be nourished. If you go beyond that, it may be idolatry. And what about exercise? I hate it. It's terrible. Too bad. Now, my wife was reading recently that for people as we get older, a little... Exercise is what you need. Not crazy intense things. Something. A few minutes here, a few minutes there. It doesn't have to be preparing for the marathon. That's for some people. Then that'd be for everyone. Folks, I'm not... You say, well, I didn't come here to hear all this stuff. Maybe. But, But God wants us in the totality of our being to glorify him. Stewardship over all things including the care of our body. Now, you can become crazy, narcissistically involved and stand in front of a mirror all the time, you know, and flexing your guns or whatever. I'm not talking about this stuff. I'm just talking about being, you know, trying to to get into a state of of, uh, uh, as much healthfulness as possible. This is no guarantee of long life. I didn't say that. Ultimately, God is sovereign. But but we're steward. Don't don't you want to have enough energy to continue to live for him? love for him and, 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 and all the rest. Now, if he takes us sooner than we, we think we should go, that's no problem. Look, it's a cause for rejoicing too. But, but that's no excuse for being sloppy about how we take care of ourselves. I don't want to finish the way Eli did. I don't want to do it. I don't want to shut down as I get older and say, eh, it's for younger people now, I just watch TV. No way. We don't finish until we're finished. 
We run the race with endurance. Anyway, this happens. And he appreciates, to his credit, the ramifications of the loss of the Ark of the Covenant and what it meant, and that just clinched. He couldn't handle that. Not just him. Look what happened in his family, verse 19. His daughter-in-law, Phineas's wife, was pregnant at this time and about to give birth. And when she heard the news that the Ark of God was taken and that her father-in-law and her husband had died, she kneeled down and gave birth, for her pains came upon her. So this was premature labor, I take it. The stress of it all kind of aggravated the system, and this is happening. And about the time of her death, she died in childbirth. At about the time of her death, the women who stood by her said to her before she died, they said, do not be afraid, for you have given birth to a son. But she didn't answer or pay attention. In Hebrew, we call it a simcha, a time of celebration. You're birthing a baby. But it wasn't for her. The grief was overwhelming. And she died. Before she died, however, she named the child. Verse 21. She called the boy... Ichabod, saying the glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God, I hear nothing, because the ark of God (laughs) was taken and because of her father-in-law and her husband. Look, you talk about this massive volume of grief. Husband dies, father-in-law dies, but also she also realized the ramifications of the absence of the ark of God. And so she's called the son Ichabod. It means no glory, no glory of God. She thought it had vanished because the ark is gone. In fact, the text, see the text, it says the glory has departed. This is what it literally says in the Hebrew. The glory has gone into exile. The glory, it's not just the ark, The glory has gone into exile. What happened? God's people disobeyed him and turned from him. They go out amongst the people of the world, the Philistines, but they're a defeated people in living that way. They dishonor God and his glory is diminished. The ark a symbol of his presence goes into exile. But what really happened is his glory went with it. His glory, the glory of God went into exile. Folks, that's what happens. The reputation of the king of kings is attached so closely to what you and I do that when we get captivated by the things of this world, so too does his glory. You see how serious it is? We represent the king above all kings. And so this is what happened. No glory. And she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark was taken. She had more spiritual sensitivity than her husband, but she still, I think, was wrong. She said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark was taken. (laughs) No. The glory didn't depart from Israel because the ark was taken. The ark was taken because the glory had departed from Israel. And why did the glory depart from Israel? Because the people disobeyed the God of Israel. 
You see it? That's kind of what happened. So, folks, see that word Ichabod? I don't recommend you name your next child that. It's not a good thing. But I think it's a kind of name that we could probably use uh, on the doorways of many churches today. The glory has departed. No glory. Because today it's very fascinating to me, an increasing number of churches and faith groups identifying with the cross are compromised in every way, shape, and form with regard to God's pattern for marriage, for instance. With regard, I mean, the next battle is not abortion, it's euthanasia. You know, we've got to get these older people out of the way because they're sapping the economy. That's a big issue, huh? Uh, many churches today uh, place a very low value on scripture. Very low value. They may refer to it from time to time if it suits their purposes. But, but to consider it to be inerrant and authoritative, many churches don't hold that anymore. All different kinds of points of view, compromised points of view that we're, we're, we're not allowed to compromise. Many churches could bear the name, it seems to me, Ichabod. Could we? Yeah. Not yet. We're doing good. Is that a guarantee that we will continue to do good? No. So what do we do? Well, I shift the burden to you. You who listen to people like me, Brother Chuck, Dr. Hastings, um, our, our, our Bible study teachers here, Chuck Cummings, Sue Rothberg, and even our pastor. You better listen with respectful yet discerning ears. You better not just buy into what we're saying as if you have nothing to worry about. Better ones than us have drifted. Be on your guard. Respectfully. Now, I'm not talking about differences of opinion. I'm talking about theological drifting. If you are catching wind of any of that, suspect it, you've got to deal with it. In one of us, in one of our classes, we have got to keep each other accountable. Why? I want to finish well, don't you? I don't want to go the way of others. In the last class, I mentioned some names and... uh, of ones who you would not expect to be adrift theologically, but they are now. I don't think I'll do it now because it's right before lunch and it ruins your appetites. I just want to tell you, it could come from any place. And today you're seeing a growing fascination with esoteric, hidden, mysterious secrets of the Bible unlocked for you by a select few made privy to it somehow. Be careful. Why? Because God is not a God of mystery and hiddenness. He's a God of revelation. Nobody twisted his arm to make himself known. He took the initiative. He doesn't withhold what's good from his kids. Do you with your kids? It's not just the last book of the Bible that's a book of revelation. It's all 66 This secret, hidden, reading this, that into it. It's selling books. Look, we're on the verge of a solar eclipse. Is that of God? Sure it is. He's sovereign God. He's created the universe. All the atmospheric conditions are under his authority. 
But if you go further than that and read into it times, dates, cataclysm, you are going beyond the bounds of Scripture. We're not allowed to do that. Do you remember the four blood moon thing? People writing books, making all kinds of money on it. I had a church member say, Stuart, what's your problem? You need to address it on a Wednesday night. Teach us about the four blood moons and how it, is, it portends the end of the world. You're read, why don't you read your tea leaves and get your palms red instead? <laughs> Come on, folks. That's beyond the back. Paul says, I'm concerned lest you be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Now, could something happen at this solar eclipse somewhere in the world? Maybe the end of the entire world? Sure it could. But that's not because someone saw something the rest of us don't. In fact, good science almost always militates against these very speculative uh, conjectures about atmospheric events. Please be careful. Don't go beyond what's scripture. We don't know when the Lord is returning. He doesn't even know. How dare someone propose to know these things? And yet people go on, and now what's happening, these false teachers, they're not building up churches. They're, they're building up their following on the internet. That's the big deal. You don't need churches anymore. You don't need ordination. You don't need denominations. You don't need any of that. These people can just spread their uh, false teaching through electronics, through cyberspace, get a huge following. So I will end with this. Okay, I will mention a name because I'm just obnoxious. First, in, in a, only with esteem, Anne Graham Lotz. Does the name Graham sound familiar? Billy Graham's daughter, a godly, wonderful woman. But of late, I've noticed, she's going in the direction of some concern. Becoming quite sensationalistic and quite speculative. Particularly about the solar eclipse. She believes it could very well portend a worldwide cataclysm, which is the end of the world, because America has to repent. She's surely right, we have to repent. She's surely right. We face the judgment of God. But then to make that association with an atmospheric event is very speculative. have to be careful. But then in a recent email, how do I know this? Because three ladies in the church came to me to say, hey, you've got to watch this video. Tell us what you think. She sponsored and promoted a video sermon by a pastor. I think he's in Australia. Uh, but he looked like an Asian man to me as I, I watched the video. It took me three to four minutes to realize that guy is a theological maniac. He's a false teacher. He's going way beyond the bounds of scripture. And she is promoting him. What's happening? I'll tell you what's happening. The deceiver of the brethren is turning up the burner. Why? Because I think we are kind of moving towards a grand conclusion. Things are definitely happening. I'm no date setter. I don't have any idea. Will the Lord return in our lifetime? I only know he can. But I don't know when he will. I don't know anything, anything like this. I do know as you look around and see what's going on, it sure looks like things are getting stirred up for crying out loud. My goodness. 
And so it's not a surprise to me that the evil one, who's a deceiver of the brethren, would turn up the burner, up the stakes, and lead astray others. And we're getting so desperate for power, secrets, newness, because we're distressed with what is. We're very susceptible to people offering those things. I want to tell you something. You have as much access to the power of God's spirit in you as I do. I don't need some special self-proclaimed prophet or apostle to talk to me about power and to tell me secrets and all this kind of stuff. Now, someone illuminating scripture is one thing. Someone going beyond scripture is another. So I could stand up here and tell you, hey, look, you see the Philistines called the Hebrews Hebrews? You know what that means? It means people from beyond the river. That's like illumination. But I'm not making up new stuff. But man, we're getting a whole bunch of new stuff being made up. I would ask God if I was you, more than any spiritual gift, ask him, oh God, give me a capacity to have good discernment today. Good discernment. And you know what? Here's what I am. Maybe it's because I'm a New Yorker. To me, you're guilty until proven innocent. If you're a teacher of God's word, a preacher, a book writer, you're guilty until proven innocent. I'm not jumping on your bandwagon until I get to check you out. You should do the same with me and every one of us here, and especially uh, on the Internet. You should be very, 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 very careful. I can give you the names, if you want, of very reliable uh, expositors of Scripture. In my opinion, it's, I guess it's always an opinion, isn't it? But uh, I, I could do that. And then there are many re- really wonderful uh, men and women who can teach us so well. Uh, but, but I could also warn you about others. So even a lady of that magnificent pedigree and uh, a, a stature and sphere of influence, I think is going off the deep end. How could that happen? I don't know. It happens. It could happen. And that's, that's called apostasy. It's a falling away from something, you see. And in this, these last days, and I think we could expect more of it. Anyway, I don't want Ichabod written on my tombstone. I don't want it on my house, and I don't want it on the church, and neither do you. So therefore, we've got to look after each other and check each other, other out. Okay. We should stop here, and then I'll make note of the fact that we would be ending six minutes at least before the pastor. I'm going to tell you, folks, he's not letting those poor people go, but I will let you. (laughs) Lord Jesus, thank you for everything. Thank you for saving us, loving us, being patient with us. Thank you for risking your reputation on us. We would rather represent you better than not. We are ambassadors for Christ. Help us, therefore, to appreciate that lofty calling to live up to it in the power of your spirit and not to dishonor nor defame your name amongst the people of the world who are watching and needy and know something about you, but not enough to be redeemed. Thank you, O God, that you've given us good things to do. Thank you for being Emmanuel, God with us. We don't ever want the glory to depart. No Ichabod, please, in our midst. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you folks. Hope to see you next time.